I'd like to think that we are human beings. Our fundamental need is acceptance, acknowledgement and assurance. And I don't think that at any point in time, in the near future, will those three requirements of human beings get replaced by all the artificial intelligences of the world. I still like to think that the mother of all artificial intelligence is still human intelligence or HI, which is a counterpart of AI. I'd like to believe that experiences is like the road signs that you see on the road. A more experienced person is a road sign for you. He or she is telling you there's a bump ahead, go slow. You will still need to go over the bump. However, the thud or the discomfort will be a little less because you heed it to their farsight. Welcome to Inspire Someone Today podcast, a show where we dive into the stories and insights that has the power to create ripples of inspiration in your life. I'm your host Srikant and I'm thrilled to be with you on this journey of inspiration. Welcome back all my dear listeners of Inspire Someone Today. Joining us today is Sajit who is the CHRO of the Bangalore International Airport Limited. Sajit is an industry veteran with over three decades of experience across various sectors in oil, steel, telecom, financial services and aviation sectors. He is a seasoned practitioner, a proven people leader. Sajit is on the board of Kepegoda International Airport Foundation as well as the Aerospace and Aviation Sector Skill Council. An avid reader, writer, and a thought leader. It's an absolute joy to have Sajit on this episode of Inspire Someone today. Sajit, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Srila. And uh, I'm glad to be here. My privilege and uh, thank you for calling me over. So before we get started, many congratulations on uh, T2 being awarded as the best airport with the experience that it has had. How does it feel? Less than six months into the making and already T2 is making all the news for all the right reasons. So how does it feel to be the CHRO of BIAL and having these accolades coming your way? It's all because of the employees that we have. Let me assure you, it's been a team effort and uh, everybody's put their heart and soul to it, starting from our managing director downwards to all our team members. And uh, I'd like to believe that the reason it resonates with the world is because we've tried to imbibe the spirit of Karnataka and Bangalore, you know, we are a garden city. So we decided to have a garden and an airport within. And the the need of the hour globally is to be sustainable and eco-friendly. So we've tried to use as much as possible materials that are eco-friendly and tomorrow's generation will not have to worry about the negative effects or the adverse effects of the material that we've used. That's something that was kept in mind and was built. And I'd like to think that that's what is actually reflected in the appreciation that has been coming our way because yes. Wonderful. If our listeners were to kind of not believe there is a garden in the airport, not true. You have to kind of be at Bangalore's uh, Terminal 2. Sajit is a CHRO for Bangalore International Airport Limited and he and his team very recently won the best airport from in environmental and interior design experience standpoint. With that said, Sajit, uh, one of the stuff that I have kind of seen uh, that you associate very much with is this whole quote from Simon Sinek, which is, be the leader that you wish you had. And it's a very powerful statement. That's something that each of the leaders uh, should be aspiring for. What has been your experience 
working with so many leaders across multiple sectors and how does this whole life lesson come into being of you associating with this phrase uh, i have been very lucky uh, let me tell you that i've been very lucky that we've had some i've had some wonderful leaders who guided me along the way even today i still reach back to some of them you know in case i have a quandary or i have an area that i think i need a reaffirmation and uh, a couple of things that i've noticed among all of them is that there are certain call, common very strong traits that they all exhibit first and foremost they have an, a very very high level of integrity you can trust them completely the second one is they exhibit a very high level of empathy in the most adverse of situations they do not let go of their empathy you do not have to worry whether they will think of it otherwise last but not the least they ensure that at all times you have their unconditional support now when you know that you have somebody backing you that way it gives you an additional boost to anything that you're doing to take go the extra mile you know make that extra effort and in turn let me tell you that cascades down to every single member of the team thereafter you know because because my bosses or my superior has told me that i can do x or he'll back me up i am able to exhibit the same level of confidence and commitment to my team so in many ways it's a, it has a complementary cascading effect and let me tell you the last mile or going the additional mile comes from that kind of support and that kind of encourages the team members to really do the best that they can and go even go a little beyond that so for me that has been the most uh, impressive and that like i said i've been lucky to have multiple mentors and bosses who have been uh, that way and uh, so most of the accolades or the credits that the team has received now and in the past in my other organizations have a strong element of this support that i have received from my leaders you mentioned couple of things here that even after three decades of your overall experience you still go back to some of your bosses mentors for inputs for guidance and second element of it is the need to demonstrate some of these traits this is by default any leader who is out there should be demonstrating traits of integrity of empathy backing the team how easy or difficult for you to go back to your past bosses past team members to seek guidance and my second part of the question is for you it was easy to observe all of these traits because you're seeing these leaders day day out and in the new world order that we are in where you don't get to see your team or the leaders on a day in day out basis the hybrid world how can a leader demonstrate some of these leadership traits in a changing world order okay yes i have absolute confidence and comfort in going back to them that's the leader that's the reason i consider them my leaders they are unconditionally there any time all the time for me and i i hope and pray that few of my team members with the with the various organizations that i've worked with can count on me in the same way because if i've done that then i'd like to believe that i've been able to in some way contribute to their success now coming to your second part of the question uh, i'd like to think that we are human beings our fundamental need is acceptance acknowledgement and assurance and i don't think that at any point in time in the near future will those three requirements of human beings get replaced by all the artificial intelligences of the world i still like to think that the mother of all artificial intelligence is still human intelligence or hi which is a counterpart of ai which is the most in vogue terminology today having said that uh, as human beings we need uh, at all times 
the comfort and the confidence. We are social human beings and we need social acceptance and superiors, peers and other team members when they acknowledge and accept and reconfirm what we believe in what we say and do. That I'd like to think continues to be the most important driving force for human beings to move forward. And as long as that requirement exists among human beings, I'd like to think that this reassurance, reconfirmation, and what is the confidence that you draw from these seniors and elders and people who've been with us earlier? They've been there, they've done that, and they have kind of succeeded. So that reassures you that you are going in the right direction by seeking their insights, inputs, and reaffirmations. And technology, I don't think, will really replace that bit of requirement that we human beings have at all times. So the human element still plays a part, still plays a role. And you did mention that because the leaders whom you worked in the past created that space for you to go back and you had that opportunity to go back and connect with them. And for a lot of our listeners listening to this conversation, Sajid, one of the biggest challenges that I see is that very point of hesitation of going back and checking. For those of our listeners, what would be your recommendation? How to stay connected? You change jobs, you move on to different roles. But there are things that you have learned or there are things that you would want to learn and you feel how I wish I had Sajit allowed me. So for those individuals, what would be your recommendation to stay connected to kind of continue the learning process, continue the mentoring process? I think there are two things that I'd mentioned here. We need to be authentic. We need to be willing to be vulnerable. When you start a relation with your existing team members or your superior, whoever, if we can be authentic in the sense, saying that these are the areas that I think I need your support, these are the things that I would do for you, and then stick to them. That builds a very high level of confidence between two human beings. Because simply put, it means the boss knows that I say what I do and I do what I say. And it's a matter of time before it will get reciprocated. The second is, the fact that we need to, to some extent, drop our invincibility or our seeming invincibility and accept our vulnerabilities. The moment you are vulnerable, you are also reaching out to somebody to say, hey, I need your support, guidance or help to succeed. So end result is still very selfish. So we don't, I don't think we need to be really concerned to about the fact that do I look inefficient? Inefficiency is different from vulnerability. Vulnerability is seeking guidance to improve myself, to be better, to be more successful. It's not inefficiency. So if we could build that bridge and continue to do that, even in a hybrid model of working, and it, it also gives confidence to the superior because he or she gets a confidence that my team member is confident enough to reach out to me to seek help, to seek my support and seek validation of what they're doing. And I think this should continue because the geographical distance should at no point in time be a reason for you not reaching out because this is a, a, an emotional support or a connect that we seek to succeed. So well said. Geographical distance shouldn't be, shouldn't come in the way of building those bonds or nurturing yeah. those relationships. And what has been your own experiences or memories of traits that you imbibed from your leaders in the past? Uh, I can tell you in the first job, I, I worked in the central government and I still remember there was one very... Uh, endangering uh, encounter that we had you know i was i was in in, in one of the intelligence services and uh, after one of those uh, very very serious encounters that we had where we had to raid and in, in mid sea some antisocial things and and seize the contraband that they were carrying 
uh, after the completion of that, uh, when we came back, we discovered that one of our team members had been lost in the middle of the whole thing in sea. We later realized that we had lost him. The person had drowned. When I came back, I still remember my boss was waiting for me, my reporting manager. All he did was he stepped forward, hugged me and said, don't worry, I'm with you. Now, when you have a team where you have lost a team member and you're coming back, you know, and don't forget this is central government service. In moments like that is when you have that unconditional support. That's the word I use, the unconditional support. You know, I'm with you. I back you up. Through hell or high water, I'm here for you. And a lot of time, that's yeah, a powerful and, and a lot of time, that is more uh, precious and important than the all the Oscars of all the Nobel Prizes in the world at that moment in time. So, that's something that I've imbibed, you know. If you back somebody, do so unconditionally and completely. And the good news is that we human beings are a bit of a gossip mongers, you know. So, if that is done repeatedly in various organizations, trust me, before you know it, your reputation will precede you. People will look forward and they will take it for granted. And, and, and a lot of times it becomes a matter of confidence that when you join a new team, there are some things that you are known for and they take uh, comfort in that. And which automatically becomes a bit of a cohesive agent, you know, makes it easier for the teams to bond around you. This has been my experience. I think that's a good one. Your reputation precedes you. And from that standpoint, the whole meaning and definition of what success is, what output is, is completely different. It's no longer about a title, about a role, about skill set. It's a completely new paradigm out there. So what, according to you, is the definition of success? Okay, I've grown up with this little poetry that I read when I was a seven-year-old, you know, which hung on the wall of our house. So if you permit me, I'd like to read it out. It's by this famous American philosopher called Ralph Waldo Emerson. Please do. It says, to laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics, yet endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find beauty in others, to leave the world a little better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition. To know that at least one life has breathed easier because of because you lived here, this is to have succeeded. So for me, I've always tried to follow these words and I'd like to think that it's been satisfying and fulfilling. I know it's a little long, but it's, it's left a long, uh, strong impression on me and I've tried to adhere to this, you know. If one person can feel a little better because of your existence, that's the essence of it. That's success. So we do. That's the, that's the very impact of that uh, whole uh, poem there out there is, if not the whole world, just make an impact on one soul. How nice. Sajid, for us to be talking this, for you have accomplished all of these things, there was a start somewhere. There was that seed that kind of opened up to be what you are today. How did this whole journey unfold to you? What was those initial days of Sajit's uh, life journey was like? Yes, so we, the typical Indian middle class values, we, we believe that what we do, we must do honestly and sincerely and I take a lot of pride in that because that's probably one of the oldest uh, societies that we have seen globally, you know, the Indian society and the values that we have all imbibed and that applies to each one of us, you know. Uh, so we, I, I come from those simplistic values, try and be nice to other people, do not do anything wrong fundamentally, you know, 
and do whatever you can to the best of your efforts. Fundamentally, we we all ride on the basic word of righteousness. So, dharma, dharma, absolutely. So that's that's exactly what also uh, is my foundation and base. And I began my career in the central government service, worked there for a few years, then moved on to the private sector. And uh, each each occasion has taught me something which I thought I carried with me to the next level and made me a better uh, human being, and therefore a better professional. And uh, the hope and intent to try and to try and make sure that I do something like I'd like to go back to the Ralph Waldo Emerson quote, uh, trying to in every occasion to see if there is something I could do to make things better, if not for the organization, at least for the people around me. And that was one reason why human resources has been kind of my calling, despite having been an intelligence officer at the beginning of my career. I'd really touch upon this, your current role as the CHRO of Bangalore International Airport. The most happening sector where there is non-stop action day in, day out. From that standpoint, how is the day in the life of the CHRO look like? Oh, let me tell you, it's as simple and as straightforward as any other CHRO's role in any other industry. We're all dealing with human beings. But yes, there are there are some unique things that we have the opportunity to do in an industry like aviation and airlines. It's a high high tech industry and the average passenger still has a certain element of apprehension when they go to, a, I mean, you take for a moment, look at it like this. The, the level of anxiety that you have if you were to go to a railway station to catch a train would be far lesser than what you would have if you were to catch a plane. It's more timely, it's more time bound, It's there's, there's more statutory processes to be completed. As airport operators and as members of the family which run this airport, it's imperative that we be sensitive to that. And we try and therefore make sure as a team, and this is what uh, our teams have always ensured and focused upon, is to make the passenger experience a little better, a little more comfortable. And how do we do that? By ensuring that whatever we do, we give the comfort to the passenger or the customer that we are on your side. We are in this together. And as long as that spirit is imbibed in each member of the team, we, 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 we think we will be in a position to do something that's worthwhile and make the experience of the customer or the passenger worth remembering. Just as the saying goes that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, we believe that if human resources as, as people managers, we make our employees smile, they'll in turn ensure that the passenger smiles, the customer smiles. So that's the spirit in which we operate. Nice. That's a very nice way of looking at things. And also, this was the sector that got impacted during the pandemic time period. And post-pandemic, it is brimming up with action and uh, whatnot. Again, how easy, how difficult it was to kind of help people in this sector to connect back, to kind of take the learnings from the pandemic. You did mention that this is one of those sectors that is highly, highly regulated. And from a statutory compliance standpoint as well. So, how was the world post-pandemic and what? specific things that you had to do in terms of getting people back on their feet and cater to a new world out there. Okay. Yes, the pandemic was probably the, the greatest learning that we've all had in our entire careers. You know, it probably taught us what was not there even in the syllabus and the curriculum. It was unheard of. Actually. Out of syllabus. Yeah, out of syllabus completely, you know. So we had to learn every single day, take every single day as a new learning, anticipating, hoping that there would be something not there wouldn't be anything that is different or unique. And we tried to address each day with our basic values in place. We ensured that our people and our processes 
were not in any way deviated. We tried to stick to the basic and adhere to the fundamentals, which actually again gave a high level of confidence and comfort to the team members that nothing will change. We are all in this together. And as management of Bile, they also ensured that, you know, we didn't in any way do, do anything that is drastic or adverse, which impacted any of the employees or any of the processes. We waited. We kind of lived out the difficult times together and we continued from where we had to leave out. We were enforced to leave out or stop operations. So the moment that happened, the good news is that because nothing adverse or, or drastic was done by the management during the time of the lull, the team had the confidence to come back because we stood together and when things improved, you know, uh, it wasn't very difficult. Uh, employees uh, were. And we'd also ensured that medical requirements and all uh, safety measures were in place and they were all adhered to. All cases wherein the, the, the pandemic had impacted families, we ensured that they were given all necessary support. And that was another reassurance that enabled us to make sure that the people came back as soon as they were required to come back to start operations again. And it's great to see how the whole sector has bounced forward. And in an industry like this, where compared to the traditional corporations where you see, you work on a project, you probably see the outcome of the project in a week, in a month, in a six months time period. Projects in this sector is a little more long drawn. From that standpoint, how do you kind of stay put on the course to see what is that big picture is? And you are somebody who speaks very highly of the outliers effect. If you were to kind of walk us through this, say, take for example the whole whole T2 expansion, and I'm just sticking to your current role. Maybe this is something that you have done in all the other sectors as well. How do you keep that big picture vision and keep the team motivated about the systems thinking way of uh, doing stuff? With the fear of sounding too simplistic about such a intricate uh, process, I'd like to think it's just two elements that really should help us. First, obviously, is being truthful to your mission, you know, not changing course. And the second is constant communication and reassurance. That's something I saw in not just me, but my entire top management from my managing director downwards on an ongoing basis. There was periodic reviews. There was periodic, uh, uh, you know, appraisals of how the progress is made, addressing impediments, addressing challenges and areas that were in any way causing delays to the project. project focusing on what can be done and how do we resolve concerns and issues for people on an ongoing basis. Again, I'd like to think that it was a team effort and, you know, it actually meant that we were saying we are in this together. If we succeed, we succeed together and we are all in this to make sure that you succeed. So, fundamentally, I think the basics is something that we went back to. By, despite all the issues and challenges that were thrown up both by nature and by situations, uh, the fact that we were focusing jointly on ensuring that the project is completed and completed as planned and as designed, ensured that there was a high level of focus and everyone knew what to contribute and how it was that uh, we would complete it as expected. And, you know, there was also a social uh, element here because this is something, like I said, this airport belongs to Bangalore City, to Karnataka and to India and then to the world in that order. So there was a larger calling, a larger mission that we were all looking at and that kind of kept us going. Sajid, so during your tenure, during your long career of managing teams across the spectrum, what are those characteristics of uh, high-performing teams? Sorry for repeating this, but the first is that 
there's a high level of bonding between team members. There is a sense of belonging. There's a sense of trust. I draw inspiration from the fundamental of our family. The parents, the siblings, we haven't signed any charters or bonds with each other to say that we'll back you or we'll stand by you. You can count on me. It's a reinforcement that happens from the day-on-day -day behavior that we exhibit to each other. When there is a problem, we are sure that we can fall back on our family. They'll bail us out. That's a strong word I'm using, but that's the word that we normally think of. Worst scenario, I have my family to fall back on. A similar kind of bonding is what has been created and or tried to create, you know, because when the chips are down for one person, everybody else rallies around them. We ensure as leaders that they are all there together. You know, the, the single team member who's, a, who's at an all-time low gets a confidence that there are others who will hold his hand and take him forward. They will not let him falter. They will not let him down. When that happens, it's human nature to reciprocate it when another member has a similar situation. You did it for me last time, so I have a responsibility of doing it for you. And as human beings, we are fundamentally fair and honest. It's only when we have been badly treated or we've felt shortchanged does the bitterness come in. So as long as as leaders we ensure that we are fair and the dealings are above board and the same for everyone, I'd like to believe that there's a certain element. Don't forget that we spend the longest hours of a day with our office team. We do not on a working day even spend that much time with our family. So the basics of human expectations of acceptance, acknowledgement and support is what keeps any team going. Beyond that, you we have the high-end expectations that the organization has. But as a team, the cohesive force is being together, being there for each other. And that's something that has not changed over the three decades that I've been in this field. That's a good one. And how do you bring together the element of camaraderie, teaming, uh, that happens across multi-generation that we see in the current workforce? Correct. Now, let me use as an analogy. When I was growing up, we only had the wired telephone which kept sat on a table. From there, we moved into the mobile phone which only could give you voice and some texting. Today, we are talking about tablets and smartphones. And in future, probably some of the basic activities that we perform today would probably get taken over by these instruments. Correct? For example, a Paytm or a Swiggy is an example of the way things are going forward. Your thumb impression or your finger impression today is enough to identify you and allow you to transact on a bank account to transfer money, right? Now, from that perspective, while those things have changed, the fundamentals of requirement, and all these are expected to meet human wants and human needs, but the basic human requirement continues to be the same, to be acknowledged, to be appreciated, to belong, to be seen as a contributing member of the society, right? So, from that perspective, if we are able to kind of fulfill the needs of these people, Again, I'm repeating this because I gave you that example. Uh, the 80s and 90s person probably still wanted a wired telephone in his house with ISD, SDD. Today's Gen Z probably wants uh, just insights and acknowledgement of the fact that they're doing well because information is no longer a privy to anybody. The Gen Z has got the maximum amount of information, much more than all of us put together, previous generations. But they too seek at the end of the day acknowledgement of their contribution, being told that what they're doing is right and they are successful. And also the fact that they are part of this larger society. Today, the requirement or the acceptance that I am contributing is far more than it's been ever been before in the earlier generations. So I'd like to think that, like I gave the example of the telephone, communication is still the fundamental of all these three instruments. The wired one, the phone, in a similar manner, acceptance and acknowledgement continues to be 
the pre-requirement of every human being who is born on this earth. Generations, mode of uh, communication changes, but the need remains the same. I love how you are putting this together. For complicated topics, you are simplifying so that it is very easily comprehensible and easy to kind of uh, implement. So I'd like to think that the, we, we are human beings, and as long as we stay human beings, the basic needs, expectations, and wants are the same. The wrappers are different. The packing side packaging is different. So here we are with uh, Sajid, the CHRO at BIAL, talking to us about uh, leadership lessons, talking to us about success, and we are in the power of three round. The first of the power of three round to Sajid is Sajid, if there is three advice that you were to provide to your older self. What would those three advice to Sajit five years, ten years from now would be like? Don't worry about the future; it will unfold itself. Second is enjoy the moment; this will not come ever again. Third is I'd like to use this quote which says, "K sera sera, whatever will be, will be." Oh, nice. So, three book or podcast recommendations for our listeners. First, I think would be Papillon, the book about a a prisoner who escaped life imprisonment and changed his world. It's it's a novel, but it's it's from based on a real life story. So it actually gives you insights about how a mind, human mind, can turn devious. It's also an insight of psychology. So that's the first one. Second one is man's search for meaning in life. So that's the second one. And the third one, uh, I'd like to think, uh, much as I sound uh, may sound a little uh, religious, bended mind, but uh, I think the Bhagavad Gita. I call it the original book of FAQs. So, these I think are the three books, and and I, the third book that I recommended is has nothing to do with uh, any religion. It actually answers the predicament and situations that are faced by every human being in life, and uh, majority of the meanings or the interpretations are available there. It's 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 a lifestyle book more than a, a religious uh, book. So, so the three micro experiments that you would recommend that would enhance team dynamics. First one, give a smile to every person you pass by, including your team member. Second, share a funny anecdote or an incident that happened to you, even if it means putting you in a slightly awkward light. But share it if it's funny. Third, at regular intervals, share a cup of coffee or a meal with your team members. Like I said, it's simple and it's still put upon. Thank you. Continuing on, if there is no limitation. Who are the three leaders you would love to have lunch or dinner with? I think I would have probably loved to have a meal uh, with uh, our the father of our nation, Mr. Mahatma Gandhi. That's the first one. Yes. The second one would probably be uh, John Lennon, the the member of the Beatles group, who was the most philosophical of the four. And third, I think, would have been Swami Vivekananda. Wonderful list there, Sajid. What are the three leadership traits that you have so dearly made it your own? I try and make sure that I stay honest and adhere to integrity at all times. That I think is the is the foundation of anything that is related to life. Second is empathy. Try and see the other person's point of view. And third is be cheerful. Nothing is worth worrying or frowning about in life because tomorrow never knows. Be in the moment and be cheerful. Two things I definitely take out from uh, this segment. The last of the part of three round, Sajid. 
if you were to make three documentaries encapsulating your learnings through your life journey, what would those documentaries be like? I'd like to think the first one would be life is like a rail journey. Okay, we enter the compartment at a particular station. We do not know uh, the station that we were expected to get down. So, while in the in the compartment, be courteous, be nice, enjoy the company of the others in the same train, because we never know when the other passengers would leave. So, make the most of it while you are with him, with them. Uh, second would be uh, the ability to probably be yourself, which is a very very difficult thing to do. We are so influenced by society, by peers, and everything around us. We sometimes tend to outgrow ourselves. Because let's not forget that each of us are here on this earth to play a role, to contribute. And attempting to be anything other than yourself may almost certainly lead to failure. So being ourselves, I think, is the second one that I would think of. Last and not the least, I think, uh, sound and music is the gift that nature has given to us in the form of chirping of birds, sounds made by animals, our own voices, and of course the advanced version of music that human beings have been able to grow into. So enjoying that contribution from nature, I think we do too less of it. And if you see our ancestors always ensured any joyous or sad occasion was accompanied by some form of music, including chanting of hymns. There was a sequence and a rhythm to it. So I think we need to appreciate and include sound and the importance of sound in our lives a little more. Uh, that was the part of three round. Sajid, thank you so much for that. And in all of the conversation that we had prior to this discussion also, you have a bit of uh, fondness towards nature. You try to drive a lot many things out of uh, nature. And one of the interesting piece that you did mention uh, to me was this whole concept of motherhood versus an animal kind of an analogy. If you can just walk me and walk our listeners through that, what is that and uh, what made you to kind of come up with uh, that kind of in uh, reference? See, uh, even we human beings, the fun fundamental as a, as a human resources person or a person who deals with human beings is understanding how human beings seem to have evolved from the other species of animals on this planet. All right. We consider ourselves to be superior to all of them because we've made materialistic advances to improve our so-called perceived comforts. But the recent occurrence of the pandemic is a reminder that we may not be right all the time. You know, majority of the things that caused the pandemic was probably triggered by human inventions. In more ways than one, we had to go back to being isolated, to being living within the four walls of the so-called our own shelters, not interact the others. So while nature reset itself, I'd like to think that this was something that nature had planned for us so that it could reset itself. And those numbers are being seen by the greenhouse effect and the other things that have actually improved owing to the, the quarantine and the isolation that the COVID or the pandemic forced all of us to absorb or imbibe. Having said that, uh, I've often viewed and understood that animals do not have many of the man-made problems that we face. We believe that advancement or improvements in medicine and technology has made our lives better. But I'd like to, off, to, to, to quote the example that I often do. Uh, we rarely come across a three-legged lion cub. We do not 
see a giraffe wearing glasses like you and I are wearing today. Nature has its own way of endowing us with what is expected for us and what is required for us. And as human beings, somewhere I often sit down and wonder if we try to overtake nature's law and regulations and therefore created more trouble for ourselves. Right? I don't think of a situation where uh, a lioness or any other female member of any species have had problems in having uh, in, in childbirth, in having children. We repeatedly hear cases where uh, human species have complications that arise at the time of childbirth, losing either the child or the mother or the child not being born in the normal uh, condition that he or she is expected to be. So, this analogy sometimes forces me to think that maybe we need to slow down a bit, listen a little more to nature. And I take uh, the inspiration from the fact that our a generation ago, our forefathers were more grounded and more closer to nature. And the interesting part is most of the modern day uh, MNCs which provide us with oral hygiene and healthcare are going back to the basic elements. You've got toothpaste now, talks of coal, uh, charcoal. Our forefathers used charcoal to brush our teeth. And then when we were invaded by a, another uh, more, more powerful uh, rule, they said this is bad and you must adhere to what we do. Now we've come a full circle. So we've got neem being used for creams on the skin. We've got charcoal being used for toothpaste. And it's these same Western MNCs who are reminding us of that. Which in a way is good because that means we are coming a full circle and what our forefathers were practicing is not completely wrong. And nature finally, I think, is the foundation to which we need to return. This reminds me of that uh, saying, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We'll finally all reach back to that small patch of earth somewhere from where we originally began. That's a great observation. So a lot of the modern day problems has answers back into the nature around us. Uh, you stated the COVID example and a lot of the things that's been done in this part of the world for me, thousands of years of uh, tradition related to that. And how do you equate some of the elements that you see in the corporate world today about success, about growth, about wanting to achieve things much faster, much quicker. So what is a corollary there? What is your take on that? And any inputs, any suggestions on how to deal with some of these things, particularly a lot of the youngsters, the whole form of that we are talking about, right? How do you kind of bring in that balance between nature and the, the whole form element of it? Okay, as a 10,000 year old society, I think uh, the dichotomy comes in from the fact that we're trying to copy or ape a 250 or a 300 year old society. So while it's interesting because the majority of people are doing it and we normally tend to have the, the, the herd mentality, you know, because everybody's doing it, I do the same. All right. Uh, in certain cases, we learn it early. In certain cases, we take a few more knocks to understand and learn it. But my opinion is that what we practice today, having been around for 10,000 years in a lineage that has survived here, most of the things that have survived couldn't have been wrong because if it was wrong, then it would have got wiped out over a period of time. Nature and time have a, have this capability to kind of remove things which are not required or which are not in sync with the natural uh, forces. So from that perspective, I'd like to think that some of the things that we probably need to go back to. Uh, yes, but it's also important that there is a learning cycle. A lot of times you need to experience something to learn it. And that, I think, is what nature is wanting us to go through. 
also take the knocks, also learn. It's like learning to walk, you know, unless we fall a few times. Our parents have been walking, our grandparents are walking, their parents have been walking for many, many years. But for each of us, <coughs> we need to take the first steps, fall, bruise our knees, hurt ourselves, cry a few times, then learn to walk the right way. Which I'd like to believe is indicative of what nature also wants us to do. And the newer generation, and each generation will probably go through that cycle of learning, unlearning and relearning. Yeah. And uh, so, while what was right or what seemed to be alright for our generation may not be the root, I'm not saying the end result, but the root may be a little different for the modern generation. So, we should allow them and have the both the patience and the empathy to allow them to go through their mistakes and evolve and come out better. Uh, so, like I said, you know, so once you do that, once you do that, you know, so I'd like to go back to that quote, which I always think, you know, end of the day, if our contribution has been useful to somebody else, to the rest of the society, you know, that would translate probably to success. But yes, again, I'm repeating this at the age of 55 or 56, me sprouting this so-called gyan is unfair to a 23-year-old or a 25-year-old. Probably I also thought like they think today when I was 25 years old. So I guess life and nature insist that we go through the the four, uh, you know, varnas as we call it, that uh, the Indian society talks of. Those are first four. So we have to evolve and reach a level. The, uh, the replica of that is today your versions that you offer in your software and your hardware. The next version, the newer version is always better than the previous one. So I think materialistically, uh, their aspirations are different. But over a period of time, they lose their importance in life. And so you have to outlive them. But you should not prevent them from actually experiencing or aspiring or, uh, uh, you know, going after those things. While we may feel that it is not required, but that's also a learning process. Yeah. And again, to be fair to the current generation, there's so much happening out there as well. It's very easy for you and I to kind of now sit back and say that, okay, these are the things that you should be doing because you have the luxury of experience and hindsight. So, for a lot of the current generation, what do you tell them? What do you recommend them to kind of, say, manage guilt as an example? Because FOMO also drives guilt factor, right? I am not able to do this, do that. And we had, like I said, we had the luxury of time and experience with us, which they don't have today. So what would you recommend to an young intern or a young campus recruit walking into an office for him to look at life or career in a different way? Uh, first thing, I think I'm too small to be offering advice to another human being. I don't think I have reason, but still, uh, I'd like to only share with them my experiences and therefore the, my learning of that, you know. I would like to believe that go through your experiences. By all means, experiences is what makes you a better human being, irrespective of which generation you belong to. However, it helps to hear from people who've already gone through it. It's, I'd like to believe that experiences is like the road signs that you see on the road. A more experienced person is a road sign for you. He or she is telling you there's a bump ahead, go slow. You will still need to go over the bump. However, the thud or the discomfort will be a little less because you heed it to their farsight. So, I'd like to believe that time and again, which is what I said at the beginning. You know, I go back to my elders and my seniors and my mentors because they've been there and done it and come out of it successfully before I even imagined it. So, for the newer generation, by all means, you have a very rich surrounding to live in. And let me give them a compliment. I'd like to think every single 25-year-old today is at least twice as smart and sharper than I was when I was a 25-year-old. Okay, so they need to use, so they need to make complete use and advantage of that superior 
uh, information and understanding that they've been able to absorb at a younger age. Yet experiences is what finally deciphers or decides what is it that will make of you. So go through the experiences, but do not forget to look at the road signs on both sides of the road of life. Use them to your advantage. Go through the experiences. That's the key. And Sajit, this show is all about creating ripples of inspiration. Before we sign off, what is your Inspire Someone Today message to all of our listeners? Be yourself. Enjoy the journey. Be nice to other people. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Inspire Someone Today. This is Srikant, your host, signing off. Until next time, continue to carry the ripples of inspiration. Stay inspired. Keep spreading the light. Thank you.